Hey everybody, a couple things before we get started. One, uh, the content of this interview is graphic, uh, much more graphic than we've ever featured on this podcast. So if you have younger people with you in the room right now as you're listening to this, I think it would be a good time or a, or a good idea to find another time to listen to this particular interview. And the reason I wanted to keep that graphic content in here is to uh, not uh, understate or uh, make what happens with abortions and, and Satanism any lighter than the truth. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is um, there's a little bit of an echo issue in this episode. Uh, we couldn't get the setup uh, exactly right this time around. So I apologize for that. Um, but I think that you will find the content to be uh, worth putting up with that annoyance. So again, I apologize for that. Uh, and thank you as always for liking the video. If you're listening to this on YouTube and subscribing, if you find the content useful, enjoy the podcast. In one of the most harrowing testimonies that we've ever featured on the podcast, listen to our guest discuss how he found out that magic was real from a young age, how he joined a satanic coven and quickly rose the ranks to high wizard discover the link between Satanism and abortions and how he was involved before figuring out that serving Christ in truth is much more rewarding and fulfilling than serving the kingdom of darkness. That and a lot more on this week's Spirit Answers podcast. Well, it is my honor to have on the podcast with us today, Zachary King. Zachary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's, it's my pleasure. So one of the most crucial parts of your testimony in Finding God uh, comes at a juncture where you're surrounded by about 150 people. Some are men chanting and singing incantations to keep Christians away. Some are women on the floor saying, our bodies, ourselves. And then there's a woman lying on a table, and there's you with surgical equipment uh, about ready to perform an abortion. And where are you? You are in a satanic coven. Now, I'm sure that there's many people that are listening to this that are thinking, how on earth could this happen? And, and you're, you're relatively young, I believe, at this point. You're, you're, you're not. I think you're, in your, you're either a teenager in your 20s. Isn't that right? I'm 14. You're 14. And uh, again, I'm sure there's people listening to this like, how on earth? Could this possibly happen? Well, for you, um, and like many people today um, that are getting into uh, Satanism in the New Age, it really comes back to your desire to get into magic, doesn't it? It's absolutely. Uh, magic, pretty much. Um, the, the, wanting to discover was magic real was the beginning of all this. Yeah, and uh, from what I understand, that happened at a pretty young age, and it was a, kind of a combination for you, like I think also for many people, it was through the media, uh, through movies, and through, um, I think also like d and I know you've mentioned, and also just, you know, what many people today might call like little little innocent games that, that you would play uh, with other kids, I know, especially at school, uh, just like you said, to see if this thing, this, this enticing thing that you see in these games and in the media is real. This Is this magic real? And you found out soon enough that indeed it is. Right. I mean, well, I started at 10 years old. You know, I had seen every B-movie there was about magic. 
you know, and it always showed the bad guys in a certain light and, you know, the good guys in a better light. And but magic always worked in all the movies. And so I just wanted to know, you know, because I asked my my Baptist preacher and my parents, is magic real? And they all said no. Now, I want to stop here for a second and remind the audience, anybody that's got a Bible can look up. There's about 33 verses in the Bible that talk about magical things. And in all these instances, God says not to do them. Why would God tell you not to do something if it was impossible to do it? Like, if you couldn't kill somebody, thou shalt not kill wouldn't be in the Ten Commandments. If it was impossible to lie, thou shalt not lie wouldn't be there either. Yet those things are. So if those things are there, then it must be possible that you can lie or that you can kill. Mm -hmm. And obviously magic must be doable if God is saying, don't do it. But nobody said any of that to me. You know, they just said magic is fake. It's just movie stuff. That stuff can't really happen in real life. Right. And that had to have made it even more enticing for you. Uh, I think anytime we're told not to do something, I think that that makes us want to do it a little bit more. And uh, one of the one of the biggest parts of of your uh, getting into magic uh, comes by way, like I was mentioning before, by the incident at school. And so can you kind of take us through what happened there with the with the mere incident at school? Sure. It was the first day of school, fifth grade, and this kid said, meet me in the bathroom at the first break. Now, I know that's a 1020, but, and you just have a break from school. You can just, you can walk outside, you can walk around the school, but you have to be back in the classroom in like 15 minutes. So the first break, I met him in the bathroom, but there was me and 49 other kids in there. And at that time, we had a brand new building and a brand new light system, and it took a special key to turn off the light. Well, some kid figured out that if you undid a paperclip, you could stick a paperclip in there and turn on the lights or turn them off. So this kid brought a paperclip into the bathroom, and he said, we're going to turn off the lights and chant this phrase into the mirror, and then if you do it right, the spirit of a burn victim will show up in the mirror. You know, we thought, all right, this may be real or may not be let's find out so we turned off the lights so it's completely dark in the bathroom and we chanted this bloody mary phrase a certain number of times and when we were done we got this sudden glow in the bathroom mirror and then sure enough we got this snarling looking burn victim showed up and there was a bunch of shrieks and screams in the bathroom. Now, this is before you could go to Spencer's and buy a holographic mirror or holographic flashlight to shine something up on something. You know, it's like those things didn't exist back then. This is 1976. I don't even know that Spencer's was a store back then. 49 kids ran screaming out of the bathroom. One idiot, I can call him an idiot because it was me, stayed in the bathroom and thought, this is the coolest thing ever. I did this. I said a phrase a certain number of times, and this showed up in the mirror. This is the coolest thing ever. And so I started doing it every day at the bathroom, in the bathroom at school. Like, it was the coolest thing. Me and a bunch of kids would go in there, sometimes just two or three kids, and we'd do it. But 
as is most things that involve large groups of children unsupervised, somebody got hurt. Like in a panic to leave the bathroom, somebody got trampled and, you know, got like broken arm or broken leg hurt. Like I like seriously injured. Wow. Uh, so notes were sent home and I had to take this note to my dad in the den and, you know, hand it to him. And cause he wanted all notes actually brought to him and stand there while he reads it. And then he can interrogate you on what they mean. And my dad read that and in his normal loving tone asked me, have you been playing this? Uh, no. Okay. Wouldn't want you to embarrass the family or anything. No, sir. So I wouldn't get caught at school because they said in the note, you'd be suspended for three days. I started playing it at home. I had my own bathroom in my bedroom. And so I would go in there every day in the morning and wake up. Now, when I played it at school, I played once a day. But when I got home and started playing it, I took it up a notch. I would play it and wake up in the morning, play it as soon as I get up, go to the bathroom, wash up, play it again. Finish up, play it again. Go out and have breakfast, come back in the bathroom, brush my teeth, play it again. About to leave for school, play it again. Get home from school, play it again. My parents aren't home. I'm going to play it for hours. Every time I play it, face comes back. Now, if I turn on the light, face is gone. But I can turn the light back off, play it again, he comes back. So I'm playing this game 25, 50, 100 times a day. Often as I want to. Face wow. always shows up. So I'm starting to get the idea that this might be magic. And not only that, I mean, that is incredible in and of itself, but you're, I also understand you're starting to have some success as well with magic as it relates to, uh, you know, money. And uh, I understand it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like you're making millions of dollars, but it was five bucks here, 10 bucks here after you perform uh, magic spells. And again, it was, it was consistent. Right. And then um, I thought, you know, if what's happening in the mirror is magic and this, what I'm doing now, isn't just coincidence, maybe I can harness what's happening in the mirror with a magic spell. So I did another magic spell in the bathroom for money. And then I did the Bloody Mary chant and when I got that face, I made sure it knew I was doing a spell for money. And then the next day I went out and I found what looked like Monopoly money rolled up tight in rubber bands. So I put that in my pocket and went about playing. And at the end of the night, you know, and everybody's in bed asleep, I'm in my room with a sheet up over my head and a flashlight in my mouth, unraveling the rubber bands to see what I have. You know, it looked like Monopoly money because I'd never seen a $100 bill. And when I unraveled all of them, I had 10 $100 bills. So I'm worth a thousand bucks, 1976. Um, you know, my favorite things in life are candy bars, penny candy, and comic books. You know, so candy bars, I think, are 20 cents. Uh, comic books are 15 to 20 cents. And uh, penny candy is indeed a penny per piece. 
you know, remember now those same pieces of candy are like 25 cents each, <laughs> sometimes more. So, um, and I appreciate you bringing that up because that really plays into what I was going to ask you next, which is that, you know, Satan is a master of giving us, you know, what we want, or at least what we think we want. Right. And, uh, but un unfortunately this is at a long-term cost uh, to our spiritual well-being. But of course, when we're going through what we're going through, when we're getting what we, what we think we want, we're usually none the wiser. And, uh, so I, I think this really plays into the, the next important part of your, uh, journey, which was getting involved in the, in the satanic coven. And so can you kind of tell us how, uh, you getting what your flesh desired played a role in that, uh, getting involved in the satanic coven? Well, it's funny because the devil knows us really well. He's been watching us for a long time and he knows that if he gives you a few drops of the giant ocean you're asking for, that'll satiate you enough that you'll stick around and keep trying. I mean, in the end, he's probably giving you a thimble full of the ocean, but you're hanging in there because everything you ask God for, he's not giving you. You know, you ask God for the new bike, he didn't give it to you. You ask God for whatever you wanted, he didn't give it to you. Now, you're not looking at the big picture. You're not looking at you've got a roof over your head. Somebody pays the electric bill. Somebody takes you to school. You're, you've got, you're getting an education. You've got food. You've got all your necessities. But as a kid, you've got wants. And God's not giving them to you. And then the devil gives you five bucks, which in the big scheme of things is nothing. But to your kid, five bucks is the world. I just told you how much everything I wanted cost next to nothing. Look at how many comic books I could buy with five bucks. You know, look how many pieces of penny candy I could get. I could get 500 pieces. You know, and then the next time I get 10 bucks. That's a thousand pieces of candy, you know, and then I get a thousand. That's a million pieces of candy. I mean, or close to, you know, in, in my mind, you know, it's like that that's incredible. So him giving me little glimpses, he's given me glitter and sparkles, you know, and I'm, falling for that because I'm a little kid and I don't know any better. So this other little kid was, he was about 12 years old, 12 years old. And he used to play D and D with us when I was 10 years old. So when I was 10 years old, he was 10 years old and then he disappeared and we thought he moved away. And it turned out that he was being homeschooled and he just stopped hanging out with all of his friends. So he had another group of friends to hang out with. And he told me about this other group that he played D&D with, and they believed magic was real. Well, I know magic's real. So I thought, I'll go check these guys out, because nobody I play with, nobody in D&D, all my friends that play D&D go to the Baptist church, and none of them believe that magic is real. So, all right. So I went and I met these guys. And... It was kids and adults, 
And, you know, at my house, you could have three meals a day and a snack if mom was in a good mood. But over there, if you wanted to live on potato chips all day, that was fine. You know, in, in the course of my 18 years living at home, I think me and my parents had pizza maybe twice in 18 years. Wow. Well, pizza, there, there was no, there wasn't Pizza Hut in town. There wasn't Domino's. Domino's came in after I was an adult. I don't think we ever got a Pizza Hut. There might be a Pizza Hut there now, but, you know, not back then. And, you know, the, the, the individual pizza places my dad didn't go to. And he rarely bought pizza at the store. I think the two pizzas we had when I was a kid were both bought at the grocery store. You know, we didn't actually get them from a restaurant. But when I was there, we could have pizza every night if we wanted to. And I could live on a steady diet of Snicker bars and pizza if I wanted to. You know, and I also learned that what goes great after a big meal is a cigarette. What goes great before a big meal is to smoke a joint. So you get the munchies and you want to eat a big meal. You know, or taking acid on the weekend and then going out into the forest and seeing what that's like. Or taking ecstasy and acid at the same time, which is called candy flipping. You know, and doing that or smoking weed at the same time or um, get, opening up a, a bowl that's filled with pills and you don't know what any of them are. And you just go by color and pick one that looks cool and see what happens. Wow. See if you get stoned. Do you fall asleep? Does it amp you up? Do you have uncontrollable energy surges for 12 hours? And then wherever you are, you just lay down and go to sleep. And not only would that be enticing for somebody, because you're, you're uh, I believe, I'm not even sure if you are a teenager yet at this point, are you? Are you? I'm 12. You're 12 years old. And yeah. not only would that be incredibly enticing for a 12-year-old, all these experiences and, uh, uh, you know, and, and like you said, Snicker bars, pizza, uh, any drug you want. But there's also, um, you're also able to have sex really at any time that you want to. Isn't that right? Right, right. I had, well, I'd become a, a victim of a sexual assault at the hands of a female teacher when I was 11. And then when I got into this group, I mean, the, the teacher told me that it was my fault, that it was my idea. I wanted to do it. And if I told anybody that I would get in trouble, you know, that something bad would happen to me. So I believed her. Why would she lie to me? She's a teacher. And when I met this group, I got one-on-one -on -one with a couple of them and, you know, different times. And I told them, hey, this is what happened to me. And I was told I wasn't allowed to tell anybody. But, you know, I felt like I could trust these people. And they told me that what happened to me when I was 11 was atrocious. And that should have never happened to anybody. And, but now I have a chance to get my power back. You know, another lie that Satan sells us is, you know, we can get our power back. We never had power. There's nothing we have that is powerful that we can do. But, you know, he likes to, to throw those lies out there. And, um, you know, now I can have sex anytime I want. No one can tell me no. 
And if somebody starts to have sex with me and I don't want to do it, I can tell them no. No one has authority over me in this, this respect. They had also introduced me to child pornography in magazines and in movies, but the magazines were in with all the other magazines. So it wasn't like I was looking up something that was taboo. I mean, you know, it was like photography today, psychology today, National Geographic, boys life, porn. And it wasn't even, it wasn't adult porn. It was chill children in different poses or doing things with each other and sometimes with other kids and sometimes with adults. And I was fascinated by them. And then I watched a couple of movies and some of them were cartoons and some of them were actual live action movies. And they, they asked me if I would like to star in something like that. I was like, well, yeah, that looks like fun. So they said I could do that. So I started being in those kind of movies. You know, they started filming me and sometimes it was in town, sometimes it was out of town. Um, you know, and I just thought I am the luckiest kid in the world. Like they're every, all my friends at school bragged about all the sex they were having, but nobody was having sex. Everybody was just making up stories. And then there was me. I wasn't talking about any of the stuff I was doing, but I was really doing it. Wow. And that's interesting to me, too, because it reminds me a lot of what's going on today in other aspects of, of life, like uh, like even like corporate America, where slowly we're, you know, we're starting to see Eastern mysticism creep in. And uh, it's right there with, uh, you know, other things like in the day to day life of corporate America. You know, on, on, you're you're going to a meeting here to make sure that you meet the numbers uh, here from 10 to 11 a.m., and then from 11 to 12 p.m., you have like a, a team workshop exercise where you're trying to f find mindfulness activities or trying to do mindfulness activities or uh, trying to understand uh, how you can incorporate, uh, you know, certain uh, affirmations and uh, even like some some places even incorporate like man manif manifesting into what they're doing. So it really just reminds me of it, it, Satan. You know, he's always doing the same tactics. It's just. Uh, nothing has changed over the last several thousand years. It's really just a, it's just a different setting that he's doing it, and it's always very very subtle. It's an inch here, it's an inch there, and pretty soon those those inches add up to become a mile. Just, he's very right. patient. Right. Well, you know, he's had a long time to study us. Right. And he knows who he has to dangle the carrot in front of, and who it has to be something different. You know, who can he lead there and who can he push there? Right. And some people he just has to leave alone. You know, though there's not very many of those. Right. Part of your story, too, which I think may have made everything a little bit more enticing was it seems like you came from a, a background, a Christian background, where uh, the word of God wasn't really represented accurately it seemed like it was very finance focused and i can't help but wonder if if maybe if you had more of an accurate representation of god if that maybe would have uh played a role in in your getting involved in all of this do you, do you think there's any truth to that 
Well, it was, I agree that it was uh, finance focused, you know, maybe had God been shown more as, you know, like I talk to a lot of Christians now and they're like, God is my friend. No, God is my buddy, you know, things like that, or, you know, God's somebody I can talk to. And to me, it seemed like God was somebody that gave you stuff if you did the right thing to please him. You know, like my dad would say things like, if you tithe, God will reward you. But my dad didn't tithe. And ask him why not. He said he couldn't afford to. But you just said God would reward you. Yes. Did you ever tithe? Yes. Did God reward you? Yes. But you don't tithe now. No. Because you can't afford to. No. So you don't think the reward is worth the tithe. Oh, it's absolutely worth it. But you still don't do it. <laughs> it's like this constant, you know, I don't do it. You know, he would tell me that if you closed your business on Sunday, God would reward you and make up the difference. How come you're, you're open seven days a week? Because I can't afford to close that one day. You know, That's just or go ahead. But but you just said God would reward you if you closed on that day. Yes. So you're telling me he'll reward you, but you don't trust him enough to trust the reward. Right. And that's that's a big difference compared to what you're getting, which is that you're you're not having to to trust anyone. You're just getting things right away. Right. So I you would know. think that would make it a lot more enticing. Right. You know, it's like I can pray for however many years my dad has seemed seems to have in some way lost his faith because he's saying that he knows these things to be true, but he doesn't trust God enough to do them. You know, and I don't even have to do that. I can go in the bathroom, do a spell and get five bucks. Of course, you know, I'm also living in an existence where my only wants and desires are candy and comic books. You know, I'm not trying to pay the rent or pay the mortgage or, you know, I'm not trying to support a family. Right. And speaking of your family, they didn't really know what was going on, did they? No, my, you know, my parents, they own two businesses in town. And one of them was constantly at one of those businesses. By the end of the night, about 11 o'clock at night, both parents would be home, sometimes later. And by then, me and my brother are asleep. You know, we've had time to come home, do our homework, go off and do whatever we're going to do. My brother usually stayed at home. You know, I would run out and hang out with my friends and do whatever I'm going to do. And this is back in the 70s, early 80s. So... You know, back then, it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. You know, if I was doing something really nefarious, my parents would have heard about it. Because you can't, you know, like my mom would come home with stories of what other kids were seen doing around town. You know, usually it's not my friend circle. So, you know, they find out that some older kids were smoking cigarettes under the gym bleachers or something. You know, and I didn't smoke cigarettes in public, 
Yeah, I wouldn't want somebody that knew my parents to get, you know, the word back to them and then me get in trouble for that. Right. So everything I did was at this coven. How, how then did you make the transition from, uh, you know, kind of getting everything that you wanted, uh, more of a party lifestyle? And I think that the party lifestyle it continued to ensue. But how did you take those next steps then to... Uh, rise the ranks here in the coven and eventually get to uh, performing that first abortion. What, what were those next steps like? I had, um, I wasn't sure that I was in a satanic coven. It didn't really occur to me at all that I was in a satanic coven. And I just knew that I was getting whatever I wanted to do, I could do. You know, it's like I'm, I'm in porn I'm having fun doing that. I'm smoking. I'm doing drugs. I'm drinking. I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't. I'm, everything I'm doing is stuff that I know I would get in trouble for. And then this older kid came up to me. I was still 12 years old. This older kid came up to me and he says, you know, you're in a satanic coven, right? And he just laughed and ran away. And I laughed about it, too. But then for the next two or three weeks, it really bothered me. And when I look for signs and I didn't see anything that said, yes, this is a satanic coven. So I went to an older member that I trusted and I said, hey, I got to tell you something. You're going to laugh. I heard this was a satanic coven. Crazy, right? And instead, he said, it is. And my heart just sunk into my stomach. And I, and I said, I stammered and I said, am, am I a member? No. Would you like to be? You know, and now I'm thinking about the devil is supposed to be the bad guy. But the devil gives me everything I want. God is supposed to be the good guy. But God seems to be a rule book you know, of things you can't do. You know, I've got the, the Bible saying, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And there's nothing in there that you're allowed to do. If you're allowed to do it, it's not fun. You know, then my parents as well. My parents are the no police. Anything I want to do, the answer is no. Can we have pizza tonight? No. Moody Blues are coming to town. Can I see them? No. There's a new movie coming out. Can I see it? No. There's a new play. No. Anything I want to do, the answer is no. I mean, I joke that if I wanted to never eat vegetables again, I should have told my parents, all I want to eat is vegetables. They'd have said no and taken them away from me. <laughs> but Satan gave me everything. You want to be in porn? No problem. Here you go. You want to take acid? Take some ecstasy at the same time? Here, do it. You know, you want new comic books, you need those. You need new shoes, let's get those. You want a good leather jacket, let me buy it for you. You know, anything I want. I mean, now I've got to have two closets. I've got to have my closet at home where I wear one set of clothes. And then I've got a closet at this other place where I wear some clothes that I like that my mom would never, you know, I've got a giant closet at my house. But I can't have something appear in that closet 
that my mom knows she didn't buy. Now I could sneak in an extra pair of shoes here or there because I've got like 40 pair. But I don't have any leather jackets. So I can't walk out of the closet with wearing a leather jacket that she knows she didn't buy. So you're getting everything that you want. And uh, now you understand that you are in a satanic coven and your, your heart sinks, but that doesn't stop you then from taking those next right. steps. And I would think that a lot of that comes back to everything that you were just saying right there. You're getting everything that you want. You're it's a big contrast to the dead dry, uh, you know, religion that your that your parents are talking about where, where there's a lot of faith involved in waiting. Um, uh, from here, um, I, I understand, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong from a chronological perspective, but uh, in order to kind of get to where you want to be at, at the next point in the satanic coven, you have to go ahead and, and, and commit this abortion. Isn't that right? Well, actually, if you scoot back a little bit, go back to me being 12, they told me that there were 13 steps to join a satanic coven. And then I had done almost all of them already. But if I did these final steps, I would be accepted into the coven. And I was just thinking about, you know, from, from a 12 year old's perspective, I'm drinking alcohol every day. And back then I think you had to be 19 to buy booze. I was 12. Wow. You know, I'm addicted to pornography being in it and looking at it. You had to be 18 to buy porn. I'm still 12. You have to be 18 or 19 to buy cigarettes. I'm still 12. I am taking illegal drugs all the time. I wouldn't know how to get them if I left the coven. And I'm having sex almost every day. But if it wasn't for these girls in the coven, I couldn't do that. And I'm loving that. So all these new privileges I have that I all got this year, I would lose everything if I don't join the coven. So being faced with all these new friends disappearing, you know, and all these new activities that I love to do going away, I wasn't ready for that. I wanted it all and I wanted it now, you know? And so I was like, what do I have to do to join? So I had to slice my left thumb and bleed onto a document and then sign that document in three places in my own blood. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin, but not mine. And I signed my name to that. Jesus died for everybody, but not me. And I signed my name to that. On the final page of the five-page document, I agree to sell my own soul. So I, I'm agreeing that one day I'm going to die and go to hell. But I'm not positive that hell's a real place. And some people think that you're going to rule when you go to hell and not suffer. So I don't know, you know, and I may not die until I'm in my 90s and I've got time to repent and all of that. So I, I sign my name to that. Now, I will tell you that it's impossible for you to sell what you don't own. 
when I'm in, when I'm giving my talks, I usually have an assistant sitting next to me and I ask them what kind of car they own. And then I ask people in the audience, can anyone legally sell me this person's car? And the answer is no. And I say, why not? And they all agree that it's because they don't own the car. Right. So that's the same reason you can't sell your soul. You don't own it. You may remember that God died for you. Jesus paid the ultimate price for your soul. You don't own it. You can't lease it. You can't loan it. You certainly can't sell it. But you may have heard that Satan is a liar. I am here to confirm. If the devil tells you good morning, get a second opinion. So, but I believed the lie. I believed the rhetoric. So I signed my name to that. And then we had this large coven meeting where all the coven members are there. And there's a giant vat and it's filled with human blood, pig's blood and human urine. And I'm wearing a white robe and it signifies being baptized or losing your innocence and being baptized into a world of darkness. So I, I climb into the vat. There's another member in there and they submerge you completely dunk you in this, bring you up. You then go into another room and you take a shower. And while you're in there, you change into a black robe. Now at our coven, we have white robes that are pretty innocent looking. And then we have black robes that have a red pentagram on them. And then we have red robes that have a black pentagram on them. A black robe is just a satanic coven member. That could be any of them. And all ages wear those as long as they're an official member. And then the red robe is the magic practitioner in the coven. And that's what I wanted was the red robe. So I come out of the, the, the room from taking the shower and I'm in the black robe and the cowl is raised up. It signifies you've been baptized into a world of darkness. And, you know, I come out and I sit in a chair and they hand me a, a wheel that's hollowed and there's a crucifix in it. And you have to take, they read the document that you signed the night before or whenever you signed it. And you show them your thumb to show that it was your thumb that you cut and bled onto the document. So it is your blood. So they read the five page document. And then in the end, you take the crucifix and spin it upside down, which signifies human sacrifice. And then you take the arms of the crucifix and break them downward. And that signifies denouncing Christ. And now the symbol you're left with looks like a peace sign. And they take the document that you signed and intertwine it with that and then wrap it with a twine. And they say that goes into a safe. And forever your soul is connected to this. Wow. And, and when you die, supposedly they burn this, like they throw the entire thing in a fire and now you're in hell. Wow. Incredible. You know, and I tell people in my talks that what you've done, you haven't sold your soul to the devil. No matter what you think you've done, you've given your will to the devil. In the Catholic Church, that just means you have to go to confession, give your will back to God. 
there would be there would be many people at this point I think that would be maybe creeped out by what you saw or or hesitant maybe to take that next step. But again, I think it's really really important to highlight that you are getting literally everything that you want right. uh, on a daily basis, and uh, and it also seems like there's a like you were saying before there's a friendship avenue involved here where it's not just that you're getting everything that you want from like a, a, a you know like a physical perspective like money and sex but there's also relationships here and uh there's social support here that it sounds like you didn't get outside of this coven and so really you would be completely uh your life would completely turn upside down if you were to leave this and how and how boring would that be i mean how how much more difficult would that be that life that you're you're not getting what you want you're not you don't have a social support so i think again it's just really really worth highlighting that and i think it it also comes back to other people that are getting involved in uh you know not they don't they might not know but uh satanic practices or maybe getting involved in drugs or just the wrong crowd there's there is an allure there that i think it's very hard to see when you're on the outside looking in that is very very painful with you were to change that if you if you were to change that social support if you were to change the 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 things that you're getting uh that's a you're you're talking about a night and day difference there and many people are i and i can relate to to this on certain levels myself they would rather just stay with what's comfortable and so i think that's what's going on here and of course like we talked about at the the beginning of the interview satan has a way of of you know taking an inch here taking an inch here and pretty soon you're way down the road and you 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 look back and like what the heck just happened you know, I was also faced with other things like in the Satanic Coven, Satan is all powerful. But in the Baptist Church, they taught everybody that Satan is no threat. Satan got defeated on the cross 2,000 years ago. You know, Jesus died on the cross and that defeated the devil. So he's no threat anymore. There's nothing the devil can do to you. Now, if you believe that all the bad luck and all the bad things that happen to you are just that bad luck, if you don't believe it's satanic attack, the devil can attack you every day because you're never going to believe it's him. And you're not going to try and pray against him or fortify yourself against satanic attacks. Right. Because the devil is not attacking you. Which I think also plays into what he what he's so masterful at doing as well, which is just convincing people that he's not even real. Well, that's a great line from The Usual Suspects. The The character of Robo Kent, played by Kevin Spacey, says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of his masterful tricks is hiding in plain sight. You know, like he gets things like a Baphomet statue, which is highly satanic, and then gets Satanists to worship it, and then convinces the Satanists that there is no God. So if there is no God, there can be no Satan. So you've got devil worshipers that don't believe in God and don't believe in the devil, dressed like Satanists in coven garb, going out in public, praying in front of a statue that they don't even believe has any power. Wow. Another one of those aspects uh, that we've already alluded to that I think Satan um, is so masterful at hiding in plain sight with is, is abortion. And uh, I, I think it'd be 
worth talking about now, just that crucial event, that crucial step in your story of, of that first abortion. And, and, uh, you know, because I know that that would then help, uh, you rise the ranks there in the coven. So can you kind of take us through that first abortion event? Sure. When I was 14 years old, I had just turned 14 and I was told that I was being recruited for a sex party, which I mean, I'd been in a lot of those, so this was like no big deal but it was all the male members between 12 and 15. And we were going to have a sex party with a 19 year old coven member. And our job was to get her pregnant. And then they started giving me balls of Play-Doh and a scalpel or an apple and a scalpel. And they told me that I needed to practice with these. I didn't know what I had to practice. I don't know, what do I do with these? And they said, well, we're going to have an abortion in about nine months. And so we need you to practice, you know, on these things. Um, practice what? They're like stabbing it. Okay. So why am I doing all this? Because you're going to commit an abortion later. Okay, cool. And then I went home and looked up the word abortion because I didn't know what it meant. And I looked it up in a dictionary. And the Webster dictionary I had was so old, the word abortion wasn't in it. So I went to the library, they had two books on abortion, maybe three, and they were all like two or three inches thick. I got through school on cliff notes. I am not reading that book to find out what an abortion is. Right. You know, and this is like 1982. There's no internet, there's no place to look this up. I can look up the library, I can look up the word abortion, find that book, but I can't look up an actual definition of it. Now, I guess I could have looked up another dictionary, but that didn't occur to me. I just assumed that if my dictionary didn't have it, none of them would. So I went back to the coven and I said, hey, you know, I heard I was supposed to commit an abortion in nine months, but I don't know what that means. And they said, are you going to kill a baby? I was like, is that legal? He was, yeah, in the womb, legal, out of the womb, murder. Okay. So I practiced as best I could, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, I just figured, you know, I'd been told that, you know, in the womb, it was just a lump of cells not a real baby, which was when my first abortion took place, it was quite the shock to me. You know, you did a pretty accurate description. There were males that were chanting and doing incantations against any Christians that might happen to find our coven and also against police, you know, keeping just in case word got out that an abortion was going to take place you know, the police wouldn't show up and raid the place. So we have these incantations going on. We have a group of women on the floor, um, nude, and they're chanting and writhing around and saying, our bodies, ourselves. And there's a group of 13 high priests and priestesses that have surrounded this woman who's laying on the abortion table. You know, all the doctor's equipment is there and it's the 
We have an abortionist there and a nurse. And my job is to get blood on my hands. Now, at the abortion, when this is starts to happen, the woman has blood and the baby has blood. So you just need blood. It, it is not specific as to whose. And I'm dressed in the red robe and I've got gloves on and a surgical mask. And all I'm told is that I have to get blood on my hands. So it's a late term abortion. And in a late term abortion, the uh, baby for the most part is deliv delivered except for the head. So you can see that it's a baby. Wow. wow. And then, I mean, you can go on YouTube and look up a late term abortion. There's a video of one. Um, it's very graphic. In mine, that procedure takes place. But then the doctor also, it seems like there was more than just the head was inside the mother. It seemed like there was more in there because he used these forceps with teeth to rip the baby apart. Some parts were still in the mom and some were outside. And then I think by the time the ripping apart took place, the baby was already dead and they threw the body parts out onto the floor. And these women started rubbing the blood and the body parts all over them. And then they started to eat them. They were cannibalizing the baby. And I mean, my legs felt like rubber. I thought at any second I was going to pass out. And it was like exhilarating, but frightening at the same time. You know, my mouth was completely dry and needed something to drink. I really needed something to eat. My stomach was empty and growling. But I also thought I might pass out. I'm trying not to pass out in front of my friends that have just saw me participate in my first one. You know, I don't want them to think that the grossness made me pass out or that the peer pressure got me too nervous. You know, I'm trying not to pee on myself. You know, I'm just trying to be excited and happy about the situation. The woman that got the abortion is happy. She's a breeder. This is, she's 19 years old. And this is probably her second or third abortion. I think it's really fascinating. Obviously that's incredibly, incredibly brutal. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy that, that, that even is real, but I, I think it's one of the most interesting parts of this is that again, it, it ties back into what we were talking about before, which is that Satan really doesn't do anything new. And you look at the Bible, especially the old Testament, and you see the other nations or, you know, uh, uh, I don't think they were called nations at the time, but other kingdoms or, civilizations besides israel and they one of their primary uh ways of honoring their god and, and getting their power was through uh child sacrifice and right. it's just it's i just think it's absolutely incredible to see that this is still going on today but you know just right. in, in, a, in a little bit of a, of a different light i had 
uh, an interview two or three years ago where the interview was based on there was like in New York, I think there was an art project built on the it was out in public and it was a temple of Baal that was made. It was like an entryway to Baal. And Baal was one of the Old Testament god goddesses or gods that people would sacrifice their babies to. And I said, I don't know why everybody's so shocked that there's a temple of Baal there. There's currently 875 temples of Baal around the United States. They're called Planned Parenthood. It's like no one blinks an eye when somebody walks into Planned Parenthood and kills their baby. That's that's murder, by the way, in case you're not aware. You just murdered a human being. That's against the law. It's certainly against God's law. It ought to be against ours. I agree 100%. But nobody thinks twice about the woman walking into the abortion clinic. No big deal. Business as usual. Hmm. By the way, they receive, in our tax dollars, they receive about $365 million a year, which comes out to a million dollars a day. Hmm. Now, what they also do is that by their own estimations, each abortion clinic performs about 1,500 abortions a year. Wow. On average of about $800 each, which means each abortion clinic is making a billion dollars a year. It's just, I can't believe that. And there's 875 of them so they make $875 billion a year in baby murder. If you're just looking at it from a monetary standpoint, you almost want to invest in Planned Parenthood. I mean, that's major money. $875 billion? It's a great point. If, there, if there's no morality behind it and there's no, right. there's no good and evil, why not, right? Right. Uh, one other thing that really struck, that really stuck out to me, is that uh, what they were, what the women were saying on the ground, our, our bodies, ourselves. It just, it really reminds me of some of the things that we might hear today in in some of these pro uh, choice rallies. I'm sure you made that connection, haven't you? Right. Well, our bodies, ourselves, was a book that was out. I don't know when it came out, but it, it, it's, um, and I don't know what it celebrates. I don't know what it's a book about, but I know my dad told me at one time not to look at it. So I, and I didn't, I actually did obey him in some things. He said it was liberal, which to a 12 year old, that's kind of lost. I didn't know what liberal and conservative and all those things meant. But so I do know it's the name of a book, but I don't know what it's about. I've never looked it up. One other part that stood out to me from that was the incantations that the men were that the men were chanting. 
And I, I am interested to see, um, because obviously as a Christian, we think about prayer and how prayer moves the hand of God. So it, it pretty much works the same way then on the satanic side, these, these chants and incantations, their direct lines to Satan is that it's, it's pretty much just a satanic version of prayer. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. You know, as also as a Satanist, you know, the Christians that believe that if you fast, that it, it's sacrifice to God, but it also helps clear your mind and helps you, you know, be able to pray better. Satanists believe the same thing. If you fast, it's a sacrifice to the devil because, you know, we're all about um, hedonism and gluttony. You know, and gluttony doesn't have to be of just food. You know, you hear about people that OD all the time or alcoholics that die from, you know, liver disease or even um, sex addicts, you know, doing whatever they do. But, you know, or somebody dying of AIDS because they had sex with way too many people and the wrong type of people. So, you know, fasting from all of your gluttony and your hedonism, you feel is a sacrifice to the devil and he would recognize that and give you what you're looking for. And it helps make your prayer stronger. If you're a magic practitioner, fasting makes your magic stronger. I did not realize that. That's, that's really interesting, the overlap there. I, I just knew that you know, early on, I was told that abortion got the devil's attention. You know, if you want to get his attention faster than any other thing you can do, it's to kill something that's innocent. You know, and of course, my first thought was like a dog or a cat, which I didn't think I could do. You know, I, I, my parents owned dogs and cats, and I couldn't kill one. But then they taught me that a baby in the womb... That's the most innocent you could get. And then I was taught that it wasn't really a baby, but on that first abortion, it looked like a baby. You know, so I was kind of, kind of confused with that. But after I did two or three more, then I got, so I was more okay with it. You know, in the next two or three that I did, it didn't look like a baby. You know, I had to get blood on my hands, and I did. And then there wasn't baby body parts. Mm. It was like they pulled out a, a clump of bloody cells, and it was like, oh, that's all there is. I guess they were right. It doesn't always have to be a baby. And uh, so after this, then, as it relates to your story, um, I know eventually you become one of the highest uh, people in the coven from a title perspective, and, and it relates to your magic use. So can you kind of take us through that? Well, in my first coven, which was an OTO coven, um, I was graduating from high school and I was going off to college and, you know, this is before the internet. So, I knew that I wanted to find another satanic coven, but 
you know, there, there's not, they're not going to advertise it in the town square. So not quite sure how, you know, I'm going to find another one. Now, back in the day, they used to advertise if you went to an adult bookstore and got a swingers magazine, they usually advertised in those. But barring that, there was no place to really find a satanic coven. You know, and I thought, well, you know, they're not going to advertise it in the town square, but I found it because they advertised it in the town square. You know, I went to school. The first day of school was Wednesday and the student union was open and they had like the Baptist and the Catholic student union, the Republican and the Democrat student union and the Wiccan and the satanic student union. So I started going to their satanic coven meetings and this is a bunch of kids away from home for the first time with no adult supervision. And they meet on Saturday night and they meet and they get drunk and they take some drugs and they have some sex. and um, They do magic spells on the spot that looks like they just invented it right there. Well, that's not real magic. And I don't need a satanic coven to smoke, drink, and have sex. I've been doing that since I was 12. So I call my first coven up and I said, hey, I got in touch with a satanic coven up here. They're pretty much a joke. Is there another coven out there? Because I read a book that listed some satanic practices. And it mentioned something about the Illuminati. And I don't know if that's real or not, but is there a satanic coven out there that wants to rule the world? And they said, yes, it's called Satan's World Church or World Church of Satan. Both names, same coven. And they gave me a phone number. So I call that number and they gave me an address to go see. And this address was a building that was bigger than a super Walmart. So back then, we didn't have Super Walmart. So I have this giant building and a giant parking lot full of cars. So I park my car and I go inside. I'm supposed to have a piece of paper that says something on it, and I do. And I walk up to the door and I show him the piece of paper and he tells me to go in. And I'm just looking around the room. There's like 10,000 people in this place. There's loud music and... People are drinking, booze is free, yeah, and there's food on the table, and you know, so I get some food and get some drink and settle up next to people. I'm assuming everybody's a Satanist, and so I feel pretty comfortable. And, you know, let's go back to me being 12 or 13 years old at a sleepover one night. It's a Satanic sleepover. And I got up during the night to go to the bathroom and get a drink. And when I was leaving the bathroom, this guy is walking through the house wearing a tuxedo and corpse paint on his face and a top hat and had a wand. And I saw him and he winked at me and kept going. And he looked like a member of the rock band Kiss wearing a tuxedo. And I thought that is the coolest look ever. And I thought, I'm going to ask somebody tomorrow who that was.
And the next day I said, hey, I got up at three in the morning to go to the bathroom. And I saw this guy, he looked like a member of KISS wearing a tuxedo. Who was that? And like, oh, you dreamed that. That didn't really happen. It did. I got up to go to the bathroom and get a drink of water. He was in the house. He winked at me. No, that didn't happen. We didn't have anybody like that. Okay. Must have dreamed it then. But I didn't believe that. I believe this was just adults lying to me, just like my parents lied to me. All right. One day, I'm going to see this look again. And this time, I'm going to find out what it is. So fast forward to me being 18 years old and out of high school at this party. And this is the same look. It's not the same guy, but it's the same look. And I grabbed somebody next to me and I said, who is that? What is that? How can I do that? And they said, well, who runs your coven? I said, we have a really large satanic coven. It's 120 to 150 members. And we have 13 high priests and priestesses. I said, who runs your coven? And they said, well, our coven is run by a CEO and board of directors. And that guy is called the high wizard. And the high wizard does the official magic of the coven. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I used to wear the red robe at my other coven. So I was the official magic practitioner there. How can I be the high wizard? I don't know. So then I got so that I asked other people and they said that the high wizard was handpicked by the devil. And you just had to do something to get the devil's attention. Well, I knew that abortion gets the devil's attention. So I had to volunteer. I had to get into the circles where I could do more of those abortions. You know, I don't actually kill the baby, but I'm there. You know, and I tell people at the abortion clinic, the guard out in the parking lot doesn't kill the baby. The person that comes there and manicures their lawn doesn't kill the baby. The receptionist at the front desk doesn't kill the baby. But they're all just as responsible because they're all contributing. Everybody's responsible that works there. So I decide I'm going to attend as many of these as I can. And I do. And when I'm 21 years old, I get a notice in the mail that summons me before the CEO and board of directors. Now I've heard that a lot of people that get summoned like that are never heard from again. So I'm kind of paranoid at this time. I don't want to show up and then be shot. You know, have my body disposed of. Right. I've watched people die and have the police show up, make the body disappear, and nobody ever hears about it. So I'm not wanting that to happen to me. So Florida at that time had a two-week cooling off period to buy a handgun. And my meeting is going to be in three weeks. So I put in to buy a handgun and a bunch of ammo, a bunch of clips. And when I walked in there for my meeting, I had a Sig Sauer 
nine millimeter and about 15 clips on me. Wow. So, uh, uh, a chest thing that you could wear that had a spot for all the clips. And my thought was, I know I got to come to this meeting, but I ain't going out like no sucker. So, you know, you want to surprise attack me in some way, you're going to have a surprise coming back at you. So I went into this meeting, uh, they brought me into this room and they had about nine different looks up on the wall, different costumes and different face masks. But you don't wear a face mask, you're actually painted on. But, and then they give you this high wizard handbook and it's very hokey, it's got cartoons all the way through it. But when you open it up on the first page, it says, no one can tell you what to do. I thought, this is the job for me. Hmm. Wow. wow. And from there, it, it escalated pretty quickly because from, from what I understand, uh, you were having really, really good success with your, with your magic rate. I think it was like 91%. And right. uh, so, so you, were doing, you were doing a lot of things there for, for the coven. And from there, from with that success, you, you started to have a little bit more power and a lot more uh, carnal things coming your way. You had money coming your way. You had uh, you. I know you started to meet uh, people in the entertainment industry. Uh, you started to meet people high up in, in government. Um, but again, there were it was all really an illusion from what I understand. It wasn't like any of this, none of this money was really yours. Uh, none of the, right. none, like the houses that you had weren't really yours, but it kind of feeds into the, this theme that we've been talking about where you get a little taste of something, but at the end it's, it's not really as it, as it uh, appears. Right. You know, at one point during my riches, I was worth $87 million. Wow. None of it was mine. I stayed in different houses you know, in reality, if somebody went to my apartment and I lived in Tallahassee, Florida, and I lived in Frenchtown, Frenchtown is the ghetto of Tallahassee. I don't know if it still is. I haven't been there in a long time, but it used to start about one block behind the governor's mansion. And then it was, you know, you can't be white and walk through Frenchtown or they'll figure you're a cop. You know, it's just a really bad area. You know, my backyard was a cemetery. I used to be, I used to live in an apartment that at one time had been a Protestant church. So I, uh, I had my real life car was a Nissan Sentra, but when people saw me acting as the high wizard, sometimes I drove a Diablo, a Lamborghini Diablo, or a Porsche, or a Range Rover, or a Mustang, or a Mercedes, or I was in the back of a limo, which none of this is mine. You know, it's like, I tell people, you know, they're like, how can the satanic coven afford this? Well, my satanic coven had over a million members. And if you look at all the rich rock stars and actors, 
you know, all of those people, a lot of those people are Satanists. Mm. You know, a lot of them contribute to the coven. You know, but what I also like to say is that the devil is rich. You know, yeah, God has all the money, but the devil is rich. You know, there's a, but there's a difference in rich being rich and being wealthy. Right. God is wealthy. Satan is rich. Now, if you're wondering what's the difference, Shaquille O'Neal is rich. Michael Jordan is rich. Who signs Shaq's check and who signs Michael Jordan's check is wealthy. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. Real quick, I'm happy you brought that up too because that is one of the most fascinating parts of your your story to me is you started to then uh, perform spells for some of the people in entertainment and specifically with music. And so I, what I wonder as an outside observer is this has to be pretty common then. I would think for a lot of the artists that we know today, I would think then that there is some kind of, uh, there's something spiritually going on with a lot of them. And I think that many people are, are none the wiser to this, but I'd be interested to hear about that from you. Like, is it really like when we turn on the radio, listen to whatever top 40 is going on today, you think a lot of that has to do with, with the spiritual world and what you, and like things that you are doing as it relates to spells. If you listen to the songs today, what have you heard that you've thought that's a hit? That sounds amazing. I wish I had that voice. Almost no one. Yet the teenagers today love all of it. It's like, how is it possible that all of you have a lack of discerning ear for music? Hmm. You know, but even, um, you know, when, when I, I tell my conversion story and I talk about this woman said the weirdest thing to me I'd ever heard. You know, when I compare that to is that I partied with rock stars and I say, you know, you give somebody that can write a song or a poem unlimited booze and drugs and they will say some strange stuff. You know, like the number one song of 1999 was Bauer to Ba. That's his breakout song. That's Kid Rock's number one song. He's never had a song went higher than that. But that was the song of the year. And everybody loved it. And the chorus to that song is bow to ba to dang to dang, diggy diggy, up jump the boogie. That's the best you could do? That was it? That's your brilliant statement? Yeah. You know, and when my audience laughs, I say, You've got no room to laugh. We made that song number one. Wow. We made that song the number one song when it came out. The number one rotation on MTV it was the number one song of the year. Wow. Just incredible. Because, again, I just think that you you hear about these things. There's little whispers of these things maybe going on, but I think many people don't believe it's truly going on. But to get confirmation uh, that there's well, this much overlap, it's incredible. If you go on um, either Google search them or go on YouTube, you know, there's an interview with um, Bob Dylan on 60 Minutes where he admits he sold his soul to the devil. 
there's an interview with Katy Perry where she says her parents were evangelists and she was traveling with them and she wanted to be the next Amy Grant, but she failed. So she sold her soul to the devil. Wow. These are people, these are big name stars that are just throwing this out there. Again, hiding in plain sight. Right. Uh, Lady Gaga talks about that she had performed at a strip club and then was walking out the back door of the club. And this guy stopped her and said that he thought she had what it takes. And if she would sell her soul to the Illuminati, she would be rich and famous. So she did. Look how popular Lady Gaga is. So you're, you're having the success here uh, as it relates to rising the ranks in the satanic coven. You're meeting all these people. You're, you're getting a, a, a taste of wealth. But on the inside, there's, there's really no peace uh, from what I understand. There, you, you're, you're, eventually, you get to a point where I, I love the analogy that you use. It's like you're, you're in a candy store, and you can, you can really have anything that you want. But at the end of the day, there, there's nothing fulfilling about this lifestyle. Um, and so can you kind of take us through that next step as, as to how it relates to uh, your coming to understand this lack of fulfillment and how you end up leaving? Well, you know, I equate the candy store to all the sins in the world, you know, and how that, you know, you can have, you're shown that all the candy in the store the first day, and it's tens of thousands of pieces of candy. And you wonder how long it'll take you to try everything. Now, not the licorice, because no one wants that, you know, and that would equate to the sins that you say you'll never do, because some sins are disgusting. You don't want to do them. That's fine. You won't do those. But, you know, all these other sins you'll do, you'll jump right into. And after six months, you've tried all the candy you wanted to try. And after a year, you've tried the licorice, too. And it might be disgusting, but at least it's something different. After about three years, you're wondering why your boss can't create a new candy. And then you see a new candy bar on the shelves and you run over to try it because you're excited. It's a brand new candy bar and you tear open the wrapper and it's same old candy bar in a different wrapper. Crack cocaine comes out and you try it because it's a new drug. You got to try it because it's a new drug and you try it. And then you realize when you're done, it's not a new drug. It's still cocaine. Just a different way to do it. My boss tricked me. It's not a new drug out there. After seven years, you know, when you first started, the yellow lights were on the yellow wrappers and the blue lights were on the blue wrappers the red lights on the red wrappers, and that was genius. And there were these red and white tiles on the floor that matched the red and, red and white tiles on the walls. They were bright and shiny. Well, now they're not as bright and shiny anymore. And those lights make you nauseous. And you dump, you dump your girlfriend because she smells like the candy store. You get a new girlfriend and she smells like the candy store. Your car and all your clothes smell like the candy store. You can burn your clothes and buy new clothes. 
and brand new off the shelf, off the rack, they still smell like the candy store. And after about 10 years, you realize that the only way to get out is to die. You can commit suicide, you can be murdered, or you can die of natural causes. And all three of these, you end up in hell. I don't want to die. I don't want to go to hell. I just want to get away. And after 12 years, this job sucks. You know, when I first got this job, I got to travel. I got to go to Bohemian Grove. I got to do things with the Illuminati. I got to meet rock stars, actors, um, political figures. I got to do magic spells for everybody in the world. Now I have to travel. I have to go to Bohemian Grove. I have to meet with these people. I don't want to meet with these people anymore. I don't want to do this stuff anymore. I, I can't. I can't do it anymore. I've done 146 assisted abortions. I'm tired of doing that. I don't, I don't want to do any of this stuff anymore. So I get a doctor's appointment with a satanic doctor. And the way I get there is that I get up on the freeway and I drive and I get off at the final exit. Except I didn't do that. I kept going. And eventually my car ran out of gas. So I slept in my car. The next day I hitchhiked my way into town. I had taken over the course of some time, I had taken cash out of my account, just filtering a little bit here and there. So eventually I could leave with cash. I took all my credit cards, but I broke them up along the way, threw those away. And I got rid of my ID. And, you know, I hitchhiked my way to the next town, sold my car for scrap, and bought a bus ticket to go into Canada. And they rejected me at the border. And they told me that I could go anywhere I wanted to go. So I opened up an atlas and closed my eyes and just put my finger down. And it landed on Oklahoma. I was like, all right. So I went to Oklahoma. And I stayed there for about three years. And then I bought a car. I had a new ID and stuff. And I bought a car. And I tried driving into Canada. And I got stopped again at the border and rejected. So I was going to drive back home. But another friend told me about a border crossing near Vermont where there's no border guard and I can just drive right across. It's like, all right, I'm going to do that. So on the way there, I'm about two hours away from the crossing and I'm super sleepy and it's during the day. So I pull into a rest stop and I take a nap. But instead of taking a short one or two hour nap, I slept all night. I woke up the next morning. I thought, no big deal. I'm still just two hours away. So I went to cross the border there and I got pulled over by a border guard. And he pulls me over and searches my car, hidden side now, top to bottom. And 
he's telling me this story about how he's been trying for three years to get this job. And today is his very first day on the job. And I realized that if I'd have driven across yesterday, I'd be in Canada right now. Wow. And I thought, God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> I so, so I had $18 and half a tank of gas. So I drove to Burlington, Vermont. And I got hooked up with the homeless program there first day in town and they showed me where I'd be staying. And my first day in town, I also got a job at a bar called Nectar's. And so I was the dishwasher there for a while. And then I went from being the dishwasher to being the doorman, just like a bouncer. And then from being the doorman to being the head of security. And then I went from that to another place called Kahiki Moon. And I went from being head of security to being the GM. And then when that closed, I went into retail and I was a manager at Finish Line and then Sunglass Hut and then going to um, Piercing Pagoda. And the night before I went into work one day at Piercing Pagoda, and I was the general manager of all these places, except finish line. I was the manager in training. So you have an assistant manager, then a manager in training, and then the GM. Mm -hmm. And then when you finish your training, you end up being the GM of a store someplace else. So I did a magic spell the night before because I was addicted to magic. I couldn't stop that. But I no longer belonged to a coven because so many covens are connected. And I didn't want to join a coven and then turn out that I'm a member of my original coven. And then I'd be found out. So I did a magic spell. And the next day I went to work and this woman came up and she wanted to buy a pair of gold hoop earrings. And I presented what I thought was the perfect pair. And she said, well, actually I'm shopping with my daughter. And when I'm done, I'll come back and I'll buy these. And I know when most women say that, what they mean is, I'm going to go find these cheaper someplace else. Right. And you'll never see me again. But she had an honest face. I knew that she was going to come back. And sure enough, three hours later, she came back. And we did the transaction. And at the end of that, I handed her the receipt. And I said, now, if you call the 1-800 number on this receipt, and take a survey, you might win $1,000. And she says, that's great. I've got something for you too. And I thought, oh no, she's going to pull out a Jack Chick pamphlet. Tell me that I'm sinning. I need to drop to my knees and blah, blah, blah. All this stuff that I can't do because I sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. But I also know better than to tell the evangelical types that I sold my soul to the devil because that just makes them come at you with even more fervor. So I'm going to swear I'm going to read this pamphlet. You know, I'm going to be like the devil. I'm going to be 99% truth and 1% lie. It's that 1% that negates everything he just said. But I'm going to swear I'm going to read it with an open mind. Now, I might read it, because Jack Chick pamphlets are like many cartoons. 
It's like a comic book. So I'll read it and then I'll throw it in the trash. So I stick my hand out for it, but instead of a Jack Chick pamphlet, she pulled out this little gold, cheap colored piece of tin. No idea what it is. And she says it's very powerful. Well, I know Protestants don't bless anything. So she's got to represent some female deity cult. And then she says the weirdest thing I've ever heard. She says, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And I thought, Blessed Mother, Isis, Gaia, I have no idea who this is. You know, and she reiterates, it's very powerful. And I'm thinking, hmm, there's between two and five high wizards in the world, but the number could be as low as one or as high as 10. If it's as low as one, then out of 7 billion people, I'm the only high wizard. I do the official magic of a coven that has over 1 million members. I'm rocking it. One magic practitioner out of 7 billion people, I'm the man. And you're trying to tell me this gold-colored cheap piece of tin is powerful? No, 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 no. So I stick my hand out for it. No, it's a blessed, miraculous metal. I don't know what that is. She smiles real big and she drops it in my hand. Now my plans are, I'm going to toss it on the floor or I'm going to slam it on my counter. I'm going to tell her it's worthless. This doesn't have any power. There's no mystique to this. This can't do anything to me. Now, if she wants to get mad and refund, you know, give me back the gold and I give her back her money, that's fine. We can do that. She can call my boss and complain if she wants because I make my days, my weeks, my months, my quarters, and my years. I do better at sales than anybody else in our store. My boss is never going to believe that I practiced bad customer service to somebody. She's going to think they had a personal problem. They didn't like the color of my tie that day. Or maybe my cologne offended them. But she's not going to believe that I offended them. So she drops it in my hand and I clench my fist around it all ready to do these things, except that when I clenched my fist around it, my store and my mall completely disappeared. Wow. wow. And I'm standing in a darkened void. And this woman tells me about the magic spell I did last night. And that's of the devil. And I've helped split over a hundred churches. And that's of the devil. And I've committed over 100 abortions. And that's of the devil. And she does about nine or 10 other sins and ends everything with, and that's of the devil. Now let's go back to me being the only one high wizard in the world out of 7 billion people. I could not give somebody else a worthless gold colored piece of tin. Transport both of us to a darkened void and know all their sins. 
Her magic is stronger than mine. Now I'm terrified. I would, before I realized that, I wanted to attack her with magic, but her magic would kill me. And what if she locks me into this place and I can't get back to the mall? I'm totally disappeared. Like no one ever sees me again. What am I going to do? I want to let go of this metal, but what happens if I let go and I just fall? Like there's no bottom to this thing. This isn't like an actual place. If her magic got me there, it might take her magic to get me out. And she says again, the Blessed Mother is calling you into her army. And in an instant, I knew that that was the Mother of God, which is something, I, I, mean, I grew up Baptist. I'd rather shoot myself in the face with a shotgun than say Mother of God. I didn't believe in the Mother of God. But I knew that was the mother of God. And when I knew it was the mother of God, Mary showed up. She had a smile on her face. A smile I knew I did not deserve. I was acutely aware of my 146 assisted abortions. And she took me by the hand. And as is her way, she led me to Jesus. She turned me around and divine mercy Jesus was standing behind me. I didn't know what divine mercy was. I just had these rays of light that were shooting all around me and over me and under me and through me. And in that instant, I knew that I had not sold my soul to the devil when I was 13. I knew that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I knew that all my magic, my new age, my occultism, my Satanism was all false. And I knew everything Catholic was truth. And the Blessed Mother told me that my job was to help her end abortion. And I opened my hand and I was back in my store, back in my mall. And this woman, her name's Marianne Wickman, she's still talking to me. And she tells me where she goes to Mass. And I started going there every day, the next starting the next day. And her daughter came up to the counter and she said, could you bring this man one of each of everything? So her daughter runs out to the truck and brings me back this paper grocery bag with why do Catholics do this or why do Catholics believe that? Um, a Catholic Bible and about 100 to 125 Lighthouse Catholic media discs. And then while I'm on the phone with her, or while I'm there with her, her phone rings. Now, just prior to this, she told me she was Father Joe Whalen's personal assistant. He's the busiest priest she knows. He doesn't even have time to talk to her. And she's the personal assistant. Also at that time, Father Joe was going deaf. So he talked like everybody else was going deaf. So she gets the call. She's like, hello, Father Joe, what can I help you with? Can you hand the phone to the young man you're talking to? Certainly, Father Joe. Here you go. So she hands me the phone. Now I'm shaking like Ozzy Osbourne. You know, I'm like, hello? Welcome to the faith. Hand the phone back to Marianne. So I hand the phone back to Marianne. We get two more calls like that. Her daughter brings that big bag of stuff in. And then eventually it's time for me to leave. 
I go home, I open the front door and I was like, my wife was doing the dishes and I opened the door and I was like, honey, guess what? I'm Catholic now. She had been Jehovah's Witness. And Catholics are the worst religion there is to the Jehovah's Witnesses. So even though they don't believe that Jesus is God. So she said, of all the things you could be, why would you possibly be Catholic? But I started going to daily mass the next day. And so did she. Hmm. And I started going to adoration every day. And so did she. It's hard to sit in front of Jesus and not be converted. Absolutely incredible. Was that, I, I would think just again, as an outside observer, that that would have been an incredibly painful process to go from where you were at to uh, mass every day. And just from a psychological and spiritual perspective, I would think that that would be so, so challenging. Was it that way for you to, to make that turnaround? I had never been to, I'd been to two black masses that didn't make any sense to me at all because I, I came from a Protestant world. So black mass to me just meant it was a, an inversion of a Protestant service, but it wasn't, I, I couldn't equate it with anything. It was so different. It wasn't until I went to my first Catholic mass that I realized that the black mass was the inversion of that. Like they were making fun of a Catholic mass, which almost makes you wonder if the devil is making fun of the Catholic mass, why isn't everyone Catholic? Like if the devil finds it so bad that he wants to make fun of it and he doesn't make fun of the other 66,000 Protestant denominations, Maybe we should quit the 66,000 Protestant denominations and become Catholic. Hmm. Wow. So um, I also want to just point out as well that it just, this really shows you God's grace, his patience and his love, because, you know, I, I, I think there's many people out there that think to themselves, well, I've, I've done too much. There's not, I can't. You know, God can, there's no way God can love me. There's no way after what I've done that God can, I can have a relationship with God or I can have anything to do with God. I think your story is, goes right in the face of that. And uh, that, I mean, my goodness. Talking. What was that? That's pride talking. Yeah. That's the reason the devil fell was pride. Great point. And I mean, my goodness, how incredible God's patience for you and in, in his in his perfect timing and his ability to turn what the enemy meant for harm for good. I, I mean, my I, 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 I mean, it's absolutely mind boggling. Like your story is absolutely incredible. And I hope that and, I'm, and I know that it already has, but and I hope that it will continue to show people that God he he never gives up on us. It's just a matter of I think he's 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 waiting for us. I think a lot of times we think that we're waiting on him. I think he's he's waiting on us to take that that next step. Right. You know he can forgive anything, but you have to ask. 
you have to want forgiveness. Right. You know, he wants you to use your free will to sin. Now you need to use your free will to ask for forgiveness. Right. So was it a pretty quick transition then to starting uh, your ministry, All Saints Ministry? It took about two years to get that going. Wow. Um, I worked with uh, St. Raphael Healing Oil Ministry for a while. And, you know, they paid to take me around on different trips and and um, rented cars for me at some point and paid for me to go on airlines and things to, to join them on certain trips. But I was never on, like they had a few people on salary. I was never on salary working for them. But, you know, I worked for them until I felt I couldn't learn anything else. And then I struck out on my own. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you is uh, because you've mentioned that working for Satan has nothing on working for God. Working for God is so much better. Can you kind of describe that for us? Why is it better? Well, for one, you know, when you work for God, if you die, you're not going to hell. That's a big one. <laughs> that is a big one. Um, the reward is greater. The, the things you do, even, you know, for the devil, even when you sacrificed, you were sacrificing for yourself, basically. Now, when you sacrifice, you know, you're sacrificing for God. You know, he recognizes that. You know, and he rewards. Sometimes it's in his own timing. So you might have to wait a while for that. And he may not reward you in this life. You know, God can see every angle of something and you can see one. You maybe can see two. But he sees every angle. So... Maybe these things you're doing won't count for you right now, but at the moment of your death, they'll count. Because that might be when you need it. Yeah, really well said. Well, um, I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to see where they can connect with you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put the website of your ministry up on the screen for those of, of you that are watching. The podcast. So again, it's allsaintsministry.org. And uh, you can find everything that Zachary is up to there, um, as well as uh, you can get in contact with him there. That's how I got in contact with him. And I know that he's he's very gracious with uh, getting back to people and answering questions, uh, just from what I can tell on his, on his website. And he, and he he was for me today. So um, I know that anything that you, you, any questions that you have, feel free to contact him via the website. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit more, too, about what you're doing in, through your ministry? Uh, my ministry is I do priest consultation. I do exorcist consultation. Um, I travel and speak. In my speaking, I either give my testimony or I'll do a talk on spiritual warfare or on pro-life. Um, and I've got out the, a book. And a CD set. I've got a few books and CDs out, but or a few CDs and DVDs 
I've got one book out called Abortion is a Satanic Sacrifice. And the CD set has shut down, I think, 39 abortion clinics. And then the book has shut down another 10 abortion clinics. Wow. Absolutely incredible. And I'm happy that you brought that up because that was something that had slipped my mind. But if you could real quick, because I understand there was one common denominator there. I think it's so important for people to understand. In your failed abortions, I believe it was, didn't weren't you 146 of 149? Yes. And there was a common denominator there for those three failed abortions. And I think it's important to highlight that, what, what that was. There were these abortions, the abortion can take place anytime. You know, you, 24 hours a day can happen. But sometimes what they chose to do was to do it during regular business hours at a privately run abortion facility or at a Planned Parenthood. And so the three failed ones I had, there were people outside praying rosaries against the abortion. Wow. But what I did is that I pulled all the files from all the failed abortions. So I was reading, you know, 25 or 35 um, failed abortions from other high wizards. And everybody said that it was prayer beads, prayer rope, Jesus beads, Jesus chain. Um, you know, they, they had different names for it, worry beads. No one called it a rosary. And it, basically it was a rosary for everybody. But I didn't know what a rosary was back then. So I just assumed that there was no common denominator, but there was really shows you the, the power of prayer. I think we take that for granted so much as, as Christians. I, I don't think it's emphasized enough how important that is. Well, you know, there's Protestants that believe that the, the rosary is a wasted prayer. But the, the two things I would like to bring up, there's a Bible verse that talks about that no prayer is wasted. If no prayer is wasted, then the rosary prayers aren't wasted either. The other argument that I hear is that God hates rote prayer. If that's the case, why does he have cherubim and seraphim that sing the same thing to him over and over again? Because a song is a prayer. And they're praying about how almighty he is. And what an amazing God he is. How awesome he is. And they pray that nonstop around him. If he didn't like rote prayer, he wouldn't like that singing either. Mm. Yeah, great point. I think for whatever reason, I think that as humans, we're always trying to put things into a box, put God into a box and put some kind of uh, trying to figure out some kind of a pattern here. When I think that we're, when we're dealing with God, I think that it's much it, it's not so much of a logical thing. I think it's a spiritual and a, and a heart thing. He understands the heart behind something. It's not, I, I don't think it's, okay, you have to do it exactly this way. I think it's God's, he understands, I, I think he understands our, what we want and we want, when we want to glorify him. And if that's through a, a rosary, I think that he respects that. And I think that he's going to, um, He's going to work with us with that. I don't think he, you know, I was talking to you before we started recording the denomination thing. I think that plays exactly into 
the enemy's hands, unfortunately. I, I, I think that God is so much more than, than that in the denominations. Well, I mean, there's 66,000 Protestant denominations. And it's like, it's almost like the devil is saying, how many more can I create? Yeah. Well said. During, during certain or exorcisms that have happened over the last hundred or so years, a demon came out and said that Satan created many of the denominations that are out there. Wow. And that he's, he's the one that has changed some of the Bible. Hmm. Like the Jehovah's Witness Bible, they put the name Jehovah in there in a bunch of places. They also changed certain Bible verses, like John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They changed it by putting one word in there. Hmm. And by putting that one word in there, it changes the entire verse. Hmm. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. Hmm. Now, in essence, they're saying there's more than one God. Right. Hmm. And they're saying that the God was a small G God. So how would a small G God be back then? Yeah, that's pretty much equating God to the, the false gods, the demonic gods of the of the time. Right. Those small changes add up. They make a world of difference. It's those subtle changes. Right. Lastly, I want to make sure that people uh, understand that they can find you also on YouTube. Just Zachary King on YouTube. Um, and a lot of great resources there. You cover, I mean, uh, pretty much almost any topic you can you can ask for. You have a video on right. it. That's a great right. great place to to find Zachary. Go ahead. A lot of people they ask me like the same 100 questions at every talk I give. So I came up with videos that would answer the top 100 questions. Now, I'm not done. I still have more videos to make, but. You know, the majority of them are there. You know, I as well have uh, my own detractors. Um, I have people that go against everything I say and like to point out everything that I say that's wrong. So if you go on my website, on the main page, there's a rebuttals page. So I put two of the people that have put things out against me. You can read what they say and then read my rebuttal back to it. I think one of the things that people count on, I wanted to find, and I couldn't find, there was gonna be three rebuttals, because one was a guy that quotes me in a talk that I gave. And so he quotes me like 27 times. And he says three or four times in this, you can go back to the his talk and read about it here. Well, he's counting on that no one's going to do that. Because if you go back and read what he says, I say, and what I actually say is different all 27 times. Wow. 
like he never direct quotes me. He misquotes me 27 times and then he answers his misquote, not my actual quote. I, I think that when you have uh, as much knowledge as you have, I, I, I don't doubt that, again, it, the, the spiritual realm, the enemy is doing whatever he can to, to work against you. So I think that that's probably at play here. Right. Well, you know, the, the devil is not a big fan. And he attacks me in any way that he knows how. Right. Yeah. And then unfortunately, I get my fair share and probably other people's share as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like, like you said, we serve a we serve a God that's much more powerful. And, uh, you know, things might not be going exactly how we want how we want them to at this moment. But like you like you said, God has infinite vantage points. And as long as we continue to pursue him in that relationship, it'll it'll work out. It'll work out for us, whether that's on this plane or as you also alluded to on the next one. Right. Zachary, I, I cannot thank you enough for taking the, the time to join us and sharing your absolutely incredible uh, testimony with us and your insights with us. Um, I have really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I, 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 again, what a, what a testament to God's grace and his patience and his love and a testament, I think, also just to, to your resilience, uh, because, you know, obviously you've been through a lot and uh, to to then be able to use what you've been through uh, to help glorify God uh, and turn what the enemy meant for harm for, for his good is is just uh, amazing to see. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. Well, thank you for listening to the interview this week, everybody. A couple of things I wanted to kind of cap the episode with. Uh, one is that I've had this interview recorded since last August, and just with everything going on in the mainstream right now, I felt like this was the right time to put it out. And, you know, for people that are for abortion, I just think it's really worth taking the time to think about why is it that Satanism and abortion, they're so linked. You know, I, I think it, hopefully it makes people think about you know, people that aren't followers of Christ or uh, operate in the realm of moral relativity that perhaps there is such a thing as good and evil. And, you know, it doesn't get much more evil when you hear the things that Zachary described in this interview than what goes on in a satanic coven. And just the um, fact that abortion is so heavily linked to satanic covens and Satanism, I would hope would be a major red flag for people that are pro-abortion. And I understand that this is uh, a, a difficult subject. There are many different instances of uh, different types of situations where people think abortion is necessary, whether that's incest or, or rape. Or, or what have you. But the bottom line is that there is a human life involved. There's a human life involved. And whether that's in the mother's body or outside of the mother's body, when you disrupt that life, that's murder. And I don't think it takes a specific gender to figure that out. So just some food for thought and I hope that people that are 
followers of Christ already will take the initiative to share this with more people and get the word out there, at the very least, so people have an understanding of what goes on and what has gone on in these satanic covens. I mean, it's just mind-blowing to me that this is going on and gets so little mainstream coverage. And again, what's, what's good is evil, and what's evil is good, uh, seemingly more than ever as we get closer to the end. Uh, so just some, some thoughts there from me on this interview. And actually another thing I wanted to touch on real quick, just the idea of God still working through um, the, the, the miraculous metal there at the end of, of Zachary's testimony. Uh, again, I, I've said before, I don't, I'm not Catholic. I don't condone many of the practices in Catholicism. But I do believe that God can still work through things like uh, the miraculous medal or, or the rosary. Um, I think he, like I said in the interview, I believe that he understands our hearts and he's not checking off specific boxes uh, about the way that we, we go about prayer or the way that we go about trying to talk to him. Um, yes, I don't think that he wants us to repeat certain things. I don't think he wants us to pray to Mary. But I do think that he, especially for the sake of a baby, will do whatever he can uh, to show his glory and his truth. So um, I would love to get, get your guys' comments on that particular part of the testimony in the, in the comments below if you're listening to this on YouTube. Uh, how, how do you think that all factors in, you know, the miraculous metal and God and, and Catholicism? Um, don't forget to send in your testimony to spiritanswerspodcast.gmail.com. You'll find what I'm looking for in the description, wherever it is that you're listening to this. And thank you, as always, for all you do to support the podcast, for sharing this, for liking it, uh, for subscribing. And uh, I will see you next week. I hope you all have a fantastic week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.